0: Hi everyone, say hi to Ara Katz. Ara is the co founder and co CEO of Seed Health, a microbial sciences company pioneering applications of microbes for human and planetary health. A serial entrepreneur, it was Ara's breastfeeding experience that led her to the microbiome and inspired her personal mission to explore the importance and impact of microbes. She's the author of a kid's book about your microbiome, and I'm so excited to have her on the show to talk about the microbiome and how it pertains to um, vaginal health.
1: So welcome, Ara. Hello, thank you so much for having me.
0: So I guess, you know, we should talk a little bit more about your background story because I'm really interested um, uh, you know, in like how that actually shaped your um your venture into actually founding CTEL. So how did you get into microbiome research?
1: Oh, it's you know, it's interesting. I mean, obviously I'm not a scientist and I'm also um I'm also not a clinician, but I I definitely have somebody who's been on the lifelong mission uh, to be a very a very big nerd uh, in health and biology. <laughs> I you know th- I found my way, you know, to the micro I mean, you know, as somebody who who is kind of a self-proclaimed nerd and somebody who has kept up with a lot of the a lot of areas of research over the years, I, I think the microbiome was you know certainly kind of came on my radar in, in very different ways. Um, through some of the earlier studies and you know when it would kind of become a little bit more mainstream or you started to notice that there were some more books and, um, and certainly rumblings in the scientific community about it. Um, and just in in my ears had perked up a while for a while just just based on that. Um, I think the more more meaningful and probably more personal part of that is that, you know, I um, I was really primarily in, in consumer tech before and um, have been in a lot of interesting worlds that cross between like des- design and storytelling and tech and consumer. But really, I think I had a miscarriage and had resigned from a previous um, mobile commerce company actually that I co-founded. And mm-hmm. I think that experience really led me back to like, what do I want to What do I want to really do and put out in the world and create in the world? And I actually got pregnant very shortly after that. And I think, you know, a few things happened when I was pregnant um, and also through the miscarriage experience. But I think one of them probably most notably um, was that, you know, the there's this interesting like thing that happens between the information you see online and the you know, certainly unsolicited advice you get from so many people when you're, when you're pregnant right. mm-hmm. and the way that, like people give so much, dispense so much advice and thinks, you know, have all these things to say about what you should do and what you shouldn't do. And certainly a lot of that's you learn through different people selling you products too, which is, and it was like all felt so far from science and it all was like very misinformed to a certain extent. And I, I really felt that there was this opportunity to close the gap between, the things that we choose and what we do um, and kind of where the science is. And I think that, of course, during pregnancy, and we'll get into more about the vaginal microbiome and our work in vaginal microbiome, but certainly between pregnancy, fertility, reproduction and the vaginal microbiome, all the way to the understanding of the critical role that the maternal, maternal microbiome plays as well as the early window of life factors that impact a child's microbiome and then how that has an impact on their health for life was very much for me, like when I was pregnant, like a, a huge focus based on my my kind of growing excitement and interest in the space, my existential crisis to figure out what I wanted to do with my life and what I wanted to create in the world. Um, and then of course, just wanting to really have a healthy pregnancy and have a healthy child and really wanting to understand what that even meant. Um, given all of the new science that was coming out and and how different it was from so many of the truths and ideas that previous generations had raised children with. And I think that was, I think all of that culminating, plus meeting my co-founder, who's an extraordinary scientific mind, um, who found his way to the microbiome in a different way, um, really kind of all that confluence of things happened, uh, plus, of course, the timing of the world and, and where the science was. And I think that's what Really, accepted my my belief that the microbiome was going to be this like massive change in the way we understood mm. our bodies and the way we made choices every day for our health.
0: I think your um, experience was so inspiring, and like the fact that you know you made like whatever you went through, and you saw a gap, and you actually kind of like went into microbiome, and you realized that this is something that it's important to disseminate and have awareness around. I think that is really inspiring. Um, I'm actually really curious about your book, a kid's book about your microbiome. Um, so when you were writing your book, what were some of the main concepts you wanted to like get across in a very simplistic
1: way? Well, I think the very, the very first thing is that I wanted to give kids language. I think the way that kids learn about and put names and words to things, Shapes the way that they see those things for the rest of their life. So, first was, you know, e- exposing children to the idea that there's an entire ecosystem of trillions of these little, what we call friends in the book, um, that you can't see with your eye, but that live in, on, and around their bodies that actually are really important to keeping them healthy. And that there were really specific things they could do to help those friends do the things that keep them healthy. And I think um, that was really important to me. I think the idea, um, especially with kids, where like the idea of being a superhero really resonates, I think the idea mm-hmm. of telling a superorganism, which is actually a biological term, um, was really exciting to me. And of course, just exposing them to this idea that there's this whole invisible world that you just can't see, um, that is so profoundly important in nature and the environment, but of course also in their bodies was like such a big part of that. And then of course, giving them the agency to know that some of the choices and things that they do every day can actually really help or hurt that community um, that works really, really hard to do the things and, and you know perform functions in the body that uh, are super important. And I think that was really the big stuff. And then of course, I think the more you give kids the power of choice, and you give them agency at depending on the the development level they're at, those ideas can really resonate with them because it becomes less about your parents saying like eat your vegetables and more about you saying, well, I wanna feed my microbes this broccoli so that I can have superpowers
0: (laughs) yeah I love that I actually think that's also a great concept to just teach adults like you know sometimes we use like yeah we use like the words microbes and all that but I feel like it's so far removed and like if we think about it as like friends or even like yeah like the superhero powers that's pretty cool
1: agreed agreed yeah so that was really that was that was really the big stuff and then you know of course it was really fun to to be able to also explain where they got their microbes, um, what influences their microbes, you know, giving them permission to play in the dirt, and um, and explaining why that's important, um, you know, I think there's a lot of like really fun and interesting ways that when you expose a whole world that they can't see with their human eyes, but that they can know about, it kind of creates a way of engaging with the world and with their health, their bodies. Um, that they kind of didn't have before. And I think, you know, we grew up, at least I grew up as a kid of the antibiotics generation, you know, our parents just thought you should eradicate and kill any germ and any microbe that you don't see. Because of course this, the assumption at that time due to lack of technology and science was that they're all bad. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas that, that assumption has led to a lot of the problems that we have today in health.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's the whole like clean clean hygiene and being like super clean Um, that's really actually also affecting us and our population in like you know in the rise of asthma and allergies and all that kind of things including like food sensitivities it's super crazy Um, so you know we were talking we've been talking about like you getting into microbiome research and a little bit more about your book Um, so now that we have just have a little bit an idea what does the microbiome consist of
1: sure I mean I can speak about what it consists of and also kind of like why that's, you know, also why that's important. You know, the microbiome, well, let me just say that when when we say the microbiome, I'll talk about the human microbiome. Most people say microbiome and they mean the gut microbiome. So that's like a really important distinction because most people... The the human microbiome is the, the and the very nerdy, nerdy definition is that it is the, it's all the microbes that live in on and around us, but also their their structures, their environment, their the things that they create um, and, and express. And so the very simplistic and kind of what we call the nerd version <laughs> way to understand it is that it really is the community of trillions of microbes that is everything from, you know, bacteria, fungi, protozoa, you know, viruses that live in, on, and around our bodies. What's fascinating is that, you know, just you have about 38 trillion bacteria alone um, in, on, and around you, which is extraordinary. That's nuts, yeah. (laughs) The latest, one of the latest studies and counts um, is that you're 50% human cells and about 50% microbes, which really, if you just really sit and that is a profound idea that the 50% of the cells in your body are not human, um, which is extraordinary uh, and, and, and probably speaks to why it's so important. Now, the reason when we say the microbiome, we most people say the gut, Mean what they mean by that is the gut microbiome is because it is the most diverse ecosystem and the most dense ecosystem. So a very large majority of your microbes live in your gut, um, colon, and other, other microbiomes, the mouth is the second most diverse with about 700 species of, of microbes. And then after that, you know, the skin, and of course we'll get to the vaginal all of those are important ecosystems, but they're not as dense and diverse as the gut. Um, but it is important to know that the human microbiome doesn't just mean the gut, it's just kind of, I think because the research started there, because of course it, of its importance, its denseness, how interconnected it is with other aspects of health, um, other organ systems, conditions, et cetera, life stages. Um, it certainly is the one that gets conflated with being the microbiome. But of course, uh, really, it means much more.
0: I love that. Thanks for the distinction. I also think that, um, you know, there, there sh- there's a focus on the gut microbiome, probably because of like leaky gut and, you know, people keep talking about that. And so, um, yeah, it's like kind of related you know- to that.
1: And and by the way, I don't, I don't, you know, just to say like, it it, it is really important. I mean, you you know, it's, it, um, while I was just trying to make sure people understood their definitions, I mean, the the gut is, I mean, look, you, you couldn't digest food. I mean, it's a huge part of of everything from like managing inflammation. You can't, I mean, without the gut, you couldn't synthesize vitamins K or many, many of the B vitamins, um, you know, it's responsible for the production. I mean, from neurotransmitters. Um, you know, various specific metabolites that we're starting to learn more and more regulate and or are involved in the presence of so, I mean, across so many different conditions and aspects of health. Um, and then of course, we, we have the, everything from the gut-lung axis and its role in respiratory health all the way to the gut-liver axis and its role in cholesterol and cardiovascular health, the gut-skin axis, which is the role that the gut and the interplay and interconnection between the gut and the skin and how that manages inflammation there. Um, you know, of course, and and now very, very much being spoken about and and research is certainly coming to bear that makes it even more impactful is like the gut brain axis and understanding that that (laughs) that highway of communication um, and and everything from signaling, you know, satiety uh, and things around like just eating all the way to like very important aspects of regulation of mood um, and social behavior. Uh, And obviously, in some cases, you know, correlations with things like everything from autism to, you know, other neuropsychiatric disorders and conditions. And so, you know, the gut is like this kind of almost hub of activity um, that has these like points of connection across the body uh, that are incredibly, incredibly important. So certainly, certainly worthy of, of, uh, of, um, of, of being probably one of the more important microbiomes to, to speak about, although they all obviously serve their own function. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I'm so glad that you gave it such a broad overview of the microbiome. Um, I, you know, when I work with my clients, I often always do a lot of gut health healing. Like yes. people come to me and they're like, "Okay, what should I eat?" Right, but like it's actually a lot more than that, um, because it really affects all the other aspects of their health. Um, and it's also why I wanted to bring you on today because. The microbiome also plays a role in vaginal health, and obviously, our vagina has its own microbiome. So, could you speak more
1: about that? Absolutely. So, so actually, and this is really interesting. Unlike the gut microbiome, where you know, actually, one of the interesting things that so so the NIH had initiated um, the Human Microbiome Project, which is like a 170 plus million dollar initiative, one of the largest in NIH history, to understand and say what constitutes a healthy gut microbiome. And they actually had no, almost no consensus because every microbiome is different. (laughs) But what they did come to consensus about was that there were kind of a couple of well-accepted markers of health, one of which was diversity. And the second was richness, or just kind of, let's call it density. And what's really fascinating about the vaginal microbiome by complete contrast is that the health of the vaginal microbiome is actually characterized by a lack of diversity. Um, And I think that's really interesting um, in that it's only dominated by a few species, several species. Um, It is, they're primarily lactobacilli genus. Mm -hmm. You do not want a lot of diversity. In fact, a lot of diversity in the vagina is often correlated with disease states like BV, for example. Um, and unlike again, for again, like the gut, where diversity is often a, a sign of a bustling, resilient metropolis or rainforest, uh, the vagina is—you want to kind of resemble, let's say, more of a desert. Um, and I don't mean that for anyone who's postmenopausal and went right to like vaginal dryness and cracking. I don't mean that <laughs> <any> <laughs> that.
0: Mm-hmm. it
1: you know, in the sense that you do not want a lot of species in your vagina. And actually, the lactobacillus that that is there in a lot of the way the vagina evolved was for that, those, those species to really be good gatekeepers, to not create the conditions that would be uh, a, a good host environment for pathogens, um, which is really important, obviously, for everything from regulation of pH um, to obviously making sure you're not susceptible to infection. Uh, That's
0: so other- interesting. So I didn't know that like um, you know the vagina you should have like a lack of diversity instead of more diversity. Um, That's really interesting to me. Also when you when you talked about that it came to mind that we have a lot of c-section births now and like it's really important when the child is being born that the child you know goes through the birth canal and actually has some sort of like Microbiome swap from the mother's vagina on the way out.
1: Yeah, it's you know it's it's a, the the so so there's a few things. It's it's an interesting topic um, and really important, especially for your community to understand because it's also an area of a lot of shame for women, right? Like who mm-hmm. have to have. Um, you know, certainly there's of course the epidemic of unnecessary C sections and you know the the old a lot of the the tropes that you hear. Uh, that, you know, the doctor had to get to their golf games and they just cut you, <laughs> kind of cut you open. Um, and certainly like in play, I mean, look, like, in places like Brazil, I think the C-section rate is over 74%. Um, so, so, uh, and, and that has a lot to do also with the vanity and, and other things that are happening there around like women in their bodies, which I think is fascinating, but really like one of the, the, just to go back to what you were saying. So the, actually where our name of our company came from seed is a process called seeding. Mm-hmm. The biological process of seeding is basically the first exposure that a ch- baby has, um, and an infant has to their to microbes, and those early microbes are very foundational to the formation of and laying the blueprint for, particularly in the GI tract, their microbiome, which of course then is incredibly important for laying the blueprint for their health journey for life, which you, you brought up things like food allergies and asthma, other autoimmune conditions. And, and, and that healthy development is very important. Now, early the early exposure, that's the way seeding happens, although there's a tremendous amount of controversy in science as to whether or not the womb is sterile, whether or not the metabolites from the mother's microbes, not the microbes themselves, impact the development and seed the baby in some way prior to birth but certainly what they would say the mother load <laughs> comes at birth and in a C-section and the very first months or very, 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 at the very beginning, the baby's microbiome will resemble more the mother's skin than it will the other ecosystems where in a vaginal birth birth.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The mother, the baby's microbiome resembles microbes from the vagina microbes also from the fecal matter that, um, for any woman who has given birth, (laughs) what I'm talking about, uh, and, or just microbes in and around that area, which, which, which is really important because of course those microbes are more coming right from the gut. So that's, as as to show you, and and then of course the skin through skin to skin contact. And then after that, really between both a C-section and vaginal birth baby, there's a lot of factors that immediately happen after birth that impact the development of that microbiome. One of them is the presence of breastfeeding. So the carbohydrates, about a third of the carbohydrates in breast milk are not digestible by the human infant, but are only fertilizer or food for the infant's microbiome. They cannot be digested by the human part of the baby, and they are only utilized by the microbes that are early in there as a nutrient source, just to show you how evolution That's is awesome. <laughs> Those are called HMOs, by the way, not, not yeah. to be. Like terrible insurance system, but uh, they're called human milk oligosaccharides. So those are sugars that mm. the big microbes break down and then use as a nutrient source. So breastfeeding and really interesting. And then, and then the other factors that are impactful are of course the, the parents and the, and the caregiver skin microbiomes, things like whether or not there's a dog in the household, what cleaning products are being used, what's the environment. Are you living? Is the is the baby in the built environment on a rural or agricultural, you know, more agricultural environment mm-hmm. or in nature? What is the exposure to environmental microbes early on? And the most probably impactful is whether or not an infant is exposed to a broad spectrum antibiotic very early in life before eighteen months. And all of those factors. And interestingly enough, for uh, one of the one study or a number of studies where like. Um, they're starting to look at whether or not you know what really truly is the impact of C-section versus vaginal birth. Is that in the instance of a baby, and I believe it was at maybe either it was six or twelve months, being in the presence of breastfeeding, and with no antibiotics, the the microbiomes of those babies start to look very similar, and converge, mm-hmm. and so that's really interesting because I think there's a a lot of shame around C-sections a sense of hopelessness, like I screwed my kid for life. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I think that actually it's a bit sensationalized when you take it out of context of some of the other factors that can impact a baby and the development of the healthy development of a microbiome early on. And then of course, when you get into food, of course the food, food piece is a huge, in those early windows of development, a very big piece part of you know how that microbiome develops.
0: Yeah. I love that. I feel like that was that could be a whole separate conversation about like birthing and you know bringing up your child, um, with early exposure to uh, microbes in the environment. That yeah. is super interesting. Yeah. there's vegetables, um,
1: mm-hmm. China, um, on the 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 and and actually there's a, there's a study that's going to come out of Stanford very soon. Maybe by the time you pub, maybe by the time this is live be published, um speaking about uh, the role of laundry detergent in the in the ch- child's skin microbiome. And then the China study was about the role of cleaning products and the correlation with childhood obesity.
0: Interesting, yeah, toxicity is a big one.
1: Yes, yes, exactly. So, so I think that we're gonna start to also understand some of those other factors in our lifetime or very soon um, and how everything from like what you would call the built environment, which is our homes, and the choices we make in our home beyond nutrition um, and beyond like personal hygiene uh, have a huge impact in the way that we... uh, And by the way, just to bring it back to the vaginal microbiome, which I know you wanted to talk more about, that is absolutely true when you start to look at the role of some of the products that Mm. women use um, and what they're starting to see uh, in terms of like evaluating the safety of some of the -the over-the-counter things that women um, you know, wash with, things that can disrupt the pH, moisturizers, lubricants, vaginal washes, period products, um, you know, all of those uh, can cause even the slightest change in pH in the vagina. And then of course, make you very susceptible to problems, conditions, you know, infection, et cetera. So that's really interesting because you're starting to see the impact now of the things we choose beyond diet, beyond taking a probiotic, beyond just like being healthy and looking at how those products impact the the, the microbiomes of the where they're being applied. Um, and then of course the, the implications of those of those products.
0: Yes, I was just going to kind of bring it back to the vaginal microbiome. Um, yeah, I love that you brought up all those pieces about, you know, avoiding certain products and not actually, you know, washing our vagina with like chemicals and all that. Um, are there any certain like specific practices that you wanna point out we should avoid doing that could actually harm our vagina microbiome?
1: I mean, I, I would say, you know, I think avoiding, um, I mean, you know, like if, if you think about all the things that you, we understand about the environment, right? Like we have nature preserves for a reason. Uh, <laughs> we, we do everything we can to protect the natural ecology of our world. Um, and I would say, if you imagine that any of your biomes of your body, particularly take the vagina as an example, um, I would say just like, just for in whatever way you can do, do as little as you can, um, -hmm. you don't want to disrupt an ecology that works very hard to maintain homeostasis and resilience. Um, and so for example, like what I the, the examples that I gave, like the lubricants and the washes and so many period products and kind of the stuff that shouldn't belong in there, um, I think is a great example um, of things that you don't, I mean, or, or do it understanding that you are probably causing some sort of disruption. Um, just, just to be clear, I mean, se- sex and menstruation are also very big perturbations of the vaginal microbiome. Um, and, you know, sex, both, both sex and, and oral sex.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So you can imagine you're transferring oral microbes, um, obviously sex, depending on your partner, um, you know, and uh, sex of your partner, of course, there's a transfer of genital microbes um, and then menstruation is really interesting because it's the time in the where actually you're, you're actually the, right after the most, one of the most susceptible to infection. Um, because uh, we, we it has been shown that 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 your period is actually also very disruptive to the uh, to the vaginal microbiome, which you can imagine from an evolutionary perspective makes sense because it's not the time that you're going to get pregnant. <laughs> it's not the time yeah. that you're going to get pregnant, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so it's a good clean, kind of cleansing moment uh, for the body on a monthly basis. So I think that you know as as much as I I always what I would say is the choice to not do something is sometimes pow- as powerful as telling you to do something.
0: Yeah, I agree. So if someone was struggling with, you know, a recurrent UTI, how does the microbiome play a role in that?
1: Yeah, it's a really interesting, you know, our, our first therapeutic goes into the clinic next early next year, um, which is a probiotic. What, what, when you go and regulate a, and put a probiotic through drug trials, it's then called a live biotherapeutic, but it is essentially a probiotic, which means it's a consortia, in this case, a consortia of microbes or, or probiotic strains of bacteria um, that have been shown to have an incredibly um, you know, protective effect against the, um, the recurrence of, a, of an infection. And so recurrent UTIs are interesting. They're linked with the dysbiosis of the vaginal microbiome. So like the imbalance, kind of what I was saying earlier, Um, particularly like the, the loss of, um, a very, the, the normally kind of protective lactobacilli species, um, which I mentioned earlier, there's only, you know, several that are dominant in the vagina across every single, what they call community state types of, um, of vaginal microbiomes. Um, and so when, when that, when the vagina is in dysbiotic dysbiotic or kind of let's call it out of balance for, for a less like nerd, nerdier term, um, it. those changes can also result from um, estrogen deficiency, which especially like in menopause, for example, or like, um, for example, can come from uh, like a course of a lot of like, a lot of people, I'm sure you've seen this in your practice, like recurrent UTIs are often people who are also on a lot of antibiotic like uh, cycles. So they're just kind of constantly on and off antibiotics because of the recurrence of their uh, UTIs. Um, And then even they're finding like contraceptives. Um, can kind of cause some of those um, those changes, so uh, which is which is obviously very interesting, particularly like IU, IUDs and um, and and although that, that's a little bit more with b- 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 but um, but so so that kind of kind of been shown that certainly the correlation between an out of balance vaginal microbiome creates the perfect conditions for uh, obviously something like a pathogen like E. coli in the example of like a in um, the example of a UTI. Um, and so the, of course, the, um, it was really interesting is that the lactic, the lactic acid producing bacteria, uh, such as the lactobacilli that I mentioned, have been shown to prevent the colonization of the E. coli in the vaginal canal, uh, which is, of course, the, the infectious pathogen that is responsible for most UTIs. And so it's, it just shows you like, it's very, you know, they're, they're, they're creating the, the, the lactic acid that obviously then regulates the pH. And of course the pH of the vagina is a very important because you don't want it to be a very good, you don't want to be a good Airbnb host. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, you want, you want that right balance of microbes. Um, And so when that is out of balance, that is susceptible to infection because of course they can't be protective Um, and they can't be doing their jobs, which is very much tied to their ability to produce lactic acid and then of course regulate pH. So, um, and and I think that, you know, right now, unfortunately, although if you go on Reddit, obviously everyone will give you a million ideas from boric acid to shoving any number of things into your vagina to try and (laughs) tackle um, UTIs because of course they are one of the most under-researched but also um, terribly, impactful to quality of life and, and so many other things that I think our healthcare system is really kind of not, not acknowledged in the right level of um, seriousness, uh, although we're obviously incredibly excited about what we're, what we're working on. Um, but really today, uh, the, 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 the first line of defense um, is an antimicrobial, it's an antibiotic. But the biggest problem is that because they're so overprescribed and overused, is that they're now starting to not work because of antimicrobial resistance. So I think one of the last, I think as of a few years ago, I remember the FDA put out something that said, you know, antibiotic resistance at that time was at 17%, which you can imagine, like, you know, it's probably closer to 20 now um, means that, you know, such a large percentage of of antibiotics are actually just like no longer able to be effective, um, which is, which is obviously incredible. And of course leaves, leaves a lot of, hopelessness for a lot of people in the interim until there's new solutions
0: yeah it's almost like a vicious cycle if you think about it like the uti and then the antibiotics and then you don't have enough of the lactobacillus to kind of you know defend against the e coli um yep. so yeah that yeah it's definitely like a, a whole yep. recurring thing
1: yeah but um, so what mm-hmm. I'll cap that off so what we're working on is a probiotic is a consortia of probiotics that have been sourced by from vaginal microbiomes for like over a decade from Dr. Jacques Revelle, who's probably the leading microbiome, vaginal microbiome researcher in the world, University of Maryland, who's our co-founder in um, our sister biotech company, Leucobiologics. Biologics. And what we're doing is we're taking a consortia of microbes that through bioinformatics, looking at like really large data sets, we can see that by administering vaginally, again, this is another, another Trope of misinformation is the idea that you could take oral supplementation and, and modulate the vaginal microbiome, which we can't find one scientist to support that idea, um, so, which is interesting. Um, but we would, have, for our, our locally applied consortia, um, we'll be looking at how by giving a probiotic, which then allows you to modulate the vaginal microbiome and, and reintroduce the correct balance of species. To be able to crowd out and basically not be a good Airbnb host <laughs> uh, to E. coli um, and therefore obviously reconstitute that ecology. Um, if you think about like ecological, like rewilding or um, preservation techniques, and even in the environment, it's very similar. And what's mm-hmm. interesting consortia that we've developed is that because we have such a large data set from Dr. Revel, and because women, there's you know, there's four community state types of vaginas so you have to say, well, would this work for all of them? And so we've been able to find the correct consortia of microbes that across every community state type has at least in the preclinical data demonstrated that it can be effective against E. coli and in the reconstitution of the vagina and prevent and and, and effective. And, and of course, this is what we're going to go into trials for. So I can't say it's done yet, but the data is incredibly promising that through a probiotic a vaginally administrated probiotic um, we feel that we could reconstitute it and therefore not make it hospitable to E. coli and therefore prevent recurrence. And so, I love that that's what we're working on and and obviously, and the coolest thing about that, of course, is that it's not an anti. There's no antibiotic, so so there's no gut. You're not you're not uh, <laughs> dropping nuclear bombs in the gut every three months. Uh, also, and this is obviously locally administrated, which is of course different than a lot of the other taking, like for example, Cipro um or macrobid over and over and over again
0: i love that i that is so interesting and exciting i can't wait for that to you know kind of go into Me neither. trials that Me neither. know yeah, well, <laughs> next. that will be a game
1: changer for a lot of women for sure yeah in the meantime we are working on something else that is a modulator of the vaginal microbiome but just not using a microbe that uses chemistry um, that we're going to be introducing sooner than that um, through seed. Uh, and we're very excited about that. And I'd be happy to share more about that when, you know, as we get closer. But that is really that is another really interesting way mechanistically to modulate, again, the vaginal microbiome to make it a very inhospitable host <laughs> to E. coli um, and be able to restore it back to um, the stasis that, that we kind of talked about earlier.
0: So, you know, when we talk about, like, the microbiome and, by extension, vaginal health, yeah. I I think, you know, someone listening to this is like, okay, that's going to be so cool, like, when it comes out, but, like, are there, like, right now, are there any, like, certain foods that can actually help support them?
1: You know, it's a great, it's a it's a great question. So, like, of course, like, there's things, for example, if you have a UTI, um, you know, and I'm sure you're familiar with, like, sh- like, D-manos, as an example, mm-hmm. yeah. I wouldn't call it food, but I would say that I'm, I mean, the, the, it's a pretty extra, I mean, the, the way that it works is pretty extraordinary uh, because it is able to bind to E. coli. And, and then you just basically kind of like urinate it out. Now it doesn't work for all women, but a lot of women that it's been incredibly impactful for. And that, and that's a good demonstration of how you can have a compound uh, like that kind of sugar um, that then has that binding property with E. coli. And then of course um, can be, can be uh, urinated or expelled out. So I think there are things like that when people have, and, and I know a lot, I'm only bringing that up because you asked me food, but that is something that I know a lot of women do also prophylactically um, and preventively just because who are prone to, to recurring UTIs. Um, so that that is one that definitely comes to mind. I think there's, when it comes to like all the cranberry. Um, every, <laughs> I was going to ask you about all, the cranberry. <laughs> you look, you look, I mean, the other, the, <laughs> the interesting thing in science, and I'm sure you know this from your work is that you know, placebo is incredibly impactful and effective. And we, our position, uh, for example, like all of the probiotics that claim some sort of urine, urogenital um, and vaginal health, uh, we think those claims are are very precarious. Um, We have not been able to, in literature reviews, find anything that feels sufficient um, to prove anything uh from that you would orally ingest something that would go through your gi tract and then have an impact from a vaginal health or your general health perspective is we have a hard time trying to figure that out a little bit mechanistically and also uh geographically <laughs> how that how that would work um and so I, you know we don't i, I i'm very nervous always to i mean i think look I think hydrate, like I, again, I, sometimes I think some from a science or medical perspective, the, the things that are obvious are not as sexy, um, like, hi- like the importance of hydration. <laughs> yeah, <example>. for sure. <laughs> um, like, I mean, my honest answer is, you know, is also like, just like most people just don't drink enough water as a great example. Um, I think a lot of, uh, I think the hygiene stuff is probably in the local administration stuff is what we talked about. Like, um, sex, oral sex, um, you know, doing that mindfully, understanding that it is an impact um, on your uh, on the on the vaginal microbiome. Um, I know that I haven't read science on this, but it's intuitive that, like, you know, peeing after sex or um, water, and just making sure that, like, when you know that you're going to have some sort of perturbation or um, something like menstruation or, uh, and certainly like sex, um, there's probably just some good hygiene there uh, that doesn't have, doesn't require outside products, but just requires just peeing and <laughs> just making sure you're being mindful about, um, you know, the, the limiting, limiting the exposure, I guess that then limits the, um, what could be a disturbance. Mm. Uh, I mean, I really think, again, it goes back to more of those things that I just wouldn't put in, put in your vagina unnecessarily. Uh, although I know that, of course, a lot of women who suffer from BV as is a great example will say, yeah, but like this, you know, some, the smell is, is, is really embarrassing. And, you know, so I, I have a lot of sympathy and empathy for um, the fact that the lived experience of a lot of the things that I'm talking about are easier said than done, um, depending on the situation. Um, obviously, things like contraceptives, um, oh, I would say overtaking antibiotics when you just like think you might have a UTI, Um, I think is probably something I would be very mindful of knowing that the impact on the gut microbiome can be quite impactful to other aspects of your health. Um, So I think in some ways, again, so much more boring than just like the list of like the listicle of like five foods to eat for your vagina, which is far better, far better clickbait um, than anything that I'm saying. Uh, but I also think that it's, you know, there, it, 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 of course, a lot of that stuff comes from the belief that you can have control over these things. And look, everybody, everybody, everybody and ecology is so different, um, that my encouragement, as long as it's not something that's bad for you, or that actively could be a disturbance or cause other systemic health problems, is that, you know, you can also try things and experiment in a, in a mindful way. And you may find something that either science doesn't know, or that actually really helps you. Um, And uh, just doing it very thoughtfully and mindfully with the the spirit of experimentation um, and and certainly not maybe trying to convince yourself that something's working or not, but actually really going into it more thinking, well, let me try this for five days and see if I notice any difference. Um, I think the challenge is that people tend when they're hopeless to do 20 things at once, and then you don't really know what helped you.
0: Yes. And that is why also I have to say that working with a health coach is so important because, you know, we can help you prioritize what's simple enough to do and just kind of do it in baby steps. Um, yeah. So I love the, you know, the way that you kind of put it, it's not about what we can, it's more about like what we avoid to help the microbiome and our vagina health, rather than like, you know, trying yeah. to support it with certain foods and all that. But
1: I mean, but just to be mm-hmm. super I I was just speaking about what you could eat for your vagina. If you want answer of what you could eat for your gut microbiome, that is enormously clear, Um, and that's a different ecosystem. And that is where actually like some of the most exciting research in nutrition uh, is happening in the world, Um, and that absolutely like of course impacts systemic health unclear if like eating healthy for your gut microbiome then impacts and is healthier for your vagina, but you could of course infer that greater systemic health um, generally means a more resilient um, and stasis of, uh, of an organism. And so, um, you know, but, but certainly I didn't, I, I wouldn't want anyone to hear that or imply that there aren't like very specific foods and nutritional guidelines and lifestyle factors for your gut microbiome that are incredibly important. I was more answering it as what can you eat for your vagina?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I love this conversation. I think that you dropped so many pearls about like not not only the microbiome, but actually, you know, a lot about UTIs and like by extension, vaginal health. Um, You know, if someone is listening to this and they are actually having, you know, symptoms of UTI or BV or just really, you know, trying to be more healthy about their microbiome, where can they find your work? Like, you know, how can they find out more about Seed? And also where can they find your book?
1: Oh, sure. So for Seed, um, you can find us at seed.com or at Seed on Instagram, where we spend an inordinate amount of time working on scientific translation and trying to drop pearls of wisdom every day there. Um, for the book, it's seed.com slash a kid's book about and if you go through this kind of little learning experience um, that you you can find on on that on that site, um, you can get a credit towards purchasing the book. And for all of our other research, um, if anyone's curious about our women's health work, um, you can and uh, and beyond, our, even our our work in the environment um, with everything from honeybees to coral reefs, um, you can find that uh, more of our research at SeedHealth.com.
0: That's awesome. I mean, I. I personally can't wait for like my personal copy of the book to arrive, like even though I don't have a kid or I might have in the future, but I just want to like, you know, read the book because it sounds so cute and very informative. Um, and I will put all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. I had a lot of fun.
1: Thank you so much. And thanks for all of your thoughtful questions. I hope it was helpful and serves your community.
0: Yes, for sure. Thank you so much, Ara. Oh,
1: yes. Thank you. It's so nice to meet you.